Psalms chapter number 23 tonight. You know, I hope, I hope the Lord is using Psalms 23 in your life like he has mine. I can honestly say um, that I have changed since I have started studying Psalms 23 in preparation to preach this over the last several weeks. Um, it's been refreshing. Um, it's been hydrating, if that makes sense to you, um, to reexamine this truth that, that's contained in these Six familiar verses that we often overlook, but so much truth is here. A couple of things in this psalm that you notice as you read these six verses over and over again is that this psalm is about the Lord. You know, it begins with, the Lord is. Uh, There are at least 12 direct references to the Lord in these six verses. This whole psalm is about the Lord, His relationship with the shepherd, his, or his relationship with the sheep, his protection, his provision, his love and his care, his concern for his sheep. But you know, this psalm is also about us. It's about you and I. David makes 17 references to himself in this psalm. The Lord is my, he makes me, he leads me, and so forth. We've learned a lot about who we are as sheep. We do know that sheep are intelligent animals, uh, but very anxious and fearful animals, hence why I've titled the series Fear Less, because they are anxious and fearful, much like we are. We are anxious and fearful. Running's their only means of defense. So far we've learned that we can fear less because of the relationship we have with the shepherd. How many are thankful tonight to have a relationship with the shepherd? What a blessing know the shepherd. We can fear less because of the rest that the shepherd provides. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. And the restoration the shepherd gives. He restores our souls. Tonight, we're going to look at the last half of verse 3. We learn that we can fear less because of the reputation of our Redeemer, the shepherd. The reputation of that the shepherd has. Uh, reputation, what is that? What is a, somebody's reputation? Reputation is the estimation in which a person or thing is held, especially by the community or the public in general. We can think of that in definition, and we can ask this question tonight to, to, to start to examine ourselves, is what is my reputation? What is my reputation in the community? But the focus tonight is not our reputation, but the reputation of the shepherd. And through the years of, uh, of uh, certainly his reputation, no doubt, over the course of the last many decades has come under attack. We know that his reputation has uh, taken hits, uh, so to speak. Uh, you've heard me say there's nobody in, in human history that's been more misrepresented than God has been. Uh, God is misrepresented all the time. His reputation has been under attack. In fact, it may have come under attack with some in this room. In a weak moment of pain or suffering, we question his goodness. That's attacking his reputation. Because we know that Nahum 1.7, one of our memory verses, says what? The Lord is good. Part of who he is. Part of his reputation. No matter the attacks throughout the centuries, that reputation of our shepherd, the Redeemer, always comes out on top every single time. So tonight we're going to read this psalm and we're going to get into this message I've just simply titled The Reputation of Our Redeemer. 
Uh, Let's pray together. Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to dig into this psalm again and allow the truth uh, to impact our lives. Father, I thank you for each person here, uh, Lord, and their families. And God, I pray that you would uh, overflow them uh, with blessings and with your presence. And Lord, that we would all seek to know you better. Father, thank you for loving us and caring for us. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalms 23, let's read this together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Tonight's focus is the phrase in verse 3, He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Tonight, I want us to notice two very important things in this one phrase. I want you to notice, number one, the path in which the shepherd guides us. The path in which the shepherd guides us. Our text says that he guides us in paths of what? Righteousness. Back in verse 2, it says that he leads me beside quiet waters. Interestingly, there's two different Hebrew words that are used here for leads, translated in the New American Standard. He leads and then he guides here in verse 3. Now, when I think of these two words, um, think with me about a uh, tour guide. How many have ever been uh, to a museum or something where you had a tour guide? And what are they doing the entire time? They are teaching you about something on that journey through that particular museum. They're pointing out facts and different artifacts and different things uh, that are important for you to know, things that they think will interest the public that have paid money to come to whatever it is uh, that they are guiding you through. The entire time they are engaging you with information, they're teaching you, they're helping you. That's the thought that came to mind when I think about that he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Something else interesting is that the tour guide never leaves you on the journey. Um, Any event I've been to where there was a tour guide, they've always been with the group. They've never left the group. And so in this psalm, we see that he guides us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And you see the balance here. As David continues, we, our, how many would say tonight, look, our lives need balance. We need balance in our lives. Some in this room may think, well, my life's out of balance. Well, we see this, how Psalms 23 here helps us put things in balance. There's times... For lying down, verse 2, he makes us to lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside quiet waters. But there's also times for moving forward. You see, some, all they want to do is rest. Some, all they want to do is lie down. But how many understand there's more to the Christian life than resting? There's more to the Christian life than just lying down. I believe some are content to just lie down and wait on heaven. That's what I think. But that's not what God has called us to. 
He makes us to lie down because we need rest, but we rest in order that we have strength to follow him on the right path. Me and Amanda like going to the rail trail. We went out there today for about an hour uh, before service and took a walk, and along the path there are benches scattered throughout the rail trail. Why are there benches throughout the rail trail? Well, because if you're like me and you're out of shape and you try to jog at all, <laughs> within five minutes you're going to need to sit down and grab some rest, get, get some rest for a minute. And, and the natural order is you walk first or jog or run, and then you sit down on the bench to rest, you catch your breath, you get up and you get started again. But in our text, we see here in Psalms 23, it's the other way around. You rest first. He says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures, and then you'll be able to walk the right path because he guides us in paths of righteousness. I think sometimes while we get so weak spiritually and weary and tired and worn out spiritually is that we have this backwards. We think of all of these things that we need to be doing, and yet we neglect resting in the presence of the shepherd. Remember, sheep would only settle down and rest when the shepherd was near. They were anxious They stand on their feet 20 hours a day, and they would only lie down and rest when they could see the shepherd, when they knew he was near. Look, if you are only as strong spiritually as your time spent being still in the presence of the shepherd, how strong are you? If you are only as strong spiritually, I'm going to say it again, as the time you spend being still in the presence of the shepherd, how strong are you? You see, you rest, and then you're able to walk the right path. He guides us in paths of righteousness. There are two ways the Bible speaks of righteousness. The first way is this. Notice, the righteous, uh, the first way is the righteousness in which Christ covers us. The righteousness in which Christ covers us. I want you to take your Bibles. Go to Philippians chapter 3 with me. Go to Philippians 3. Philippians chapter 3, we're talking about two ways that the Bible speaks of righteousness. And look at verse 7. It says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Philippians 3, verse 7, moving to verse 8. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Can I stop right here and ask you a question? What what does your faith cost you? Does it cost you anything? Paul just clearly says that he has lost everything because of his faith in Christ. I'm reminded of what Warren Wiersbe said, a faith that costs nothing, expects nothing, is worth nothing. It's worth nothing. He said, he's lost all things and counts them as rubbish that he may gain Christ. Now watch this, verse 9, and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Notice verse 9 one more time. He says, and may be found 
in him. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. How does one become right with God? How do we become right with God? Because I think if you look at verse 9 closely, I think you will see that maybe the majority of people today have a righteousness that is derived from their own works, their own keeping of the law. I think most people are in that category. So according to what Paul just said, how does one become right with God? Very simply, by the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is imparted to us through faith in what Jesus did for us. That is how one is is right with God. Jesus lived a perfect life of righteousness for everybody in this room. He lived a life that we could not live. Is that true? Amen. He did. He lived that perfect sinless life and went to the cross and died on the cross for us as the perfect sacrifice for sin. He paid a debt that no man or woman ever could. Offering his life, his righteousness to us. So the way we are right with God is through faith in what Jesus did on the cross. That's it. That's the only way we're made right with God. All the righteousness that you will ever need is given to you by the Lord Jesus Christ. You realize there's nothing that you add to your salvation when Jesus saves you. All the righteousness you need to get to heaven is given to you the moment you place your faith in Christ. His righteousness becomes your righteousness through faith in Him and what He did on the cross. Look, it's an awesome existence, and it's an exciting and energetic existence to be wholly owned by the Son of God. To be wholly His, to be surrendered, to be all in. It's an exciting life to live because it's a life of great peace and security and certainty in my life. It's a wonderful thing to know that you're saved, to know that His righteousness has been imparted to me for salvation, that His blood has covered me. What a blessing it is to know the righteousness in which Christ covers us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin for us, right? So that we could become what? The righteousness of God in him. So he he took all our sin so we could take all his righteousness. That sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? And so I think in our culture, we, we so complicate faith that we confuse people to death. Somebody asks you, how, do you, how does one person become right with God? Through faith in what Jesus did for you on the cross. That's it. Because you need his righteousness, not your own. That's exactly what Paul just said. But I think most are li- in our culture are living with this righteousness they have derived because of their keeping of the law and all their religious stuff. Look, the Bible speaks of righteousness in two ways. The righteousness in which Christ covers us. Look, if you have received Christ by faith... You are as ready for heaven as if you were were already there. You are covered in his righteousness. And that is something to rejoice in every single day of your life. There's nothing else that needs to be added to your life for you to get to heaven. You have his righteousness. That's what Paul just said. Look, much of our insecurity and doubting comes from our focus on our own righteousness. Isn't that true? Everyone in this room, I would say at some point in your life of faith, is doubted. Am I really saved or not? You know, my question to people who doubt, well, I don't know that I'm really saved. Well, do you believe Jesus died on the cross for you? Yes, I do. 
you believe he rose again on the third day? Yes, I do. Do you know that you're a sinner? Yes, I, I'm, I know I'm a sinner. Have you asked Christ for forgiveness of sin? Have you placed your faith in him? Yes, I have. Then the Bible says you're saved. If, 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 if you are not saved, then Jesus lied to you. But I think in our minds, we have a hard time understanding there's nothing that I, that left that I have to do here. <laughs> you know, and we struggle with that. Jesus paid it all, just like the hymn said. And all to him I owe. Sin has left the crimson state. His blood has washed it white as snow. And so look, we are saved. Look, the righteousness in which he covers us is an awesome existence. It's by faith in Christ. Paul said, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. If anybody knew what it was like to work for righteousness, Paul did. His prior existence to faith in Christ was all works. He knew it. He said, not a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Man, let that sink in. I think some of y'all are going to leave shouting tonight. Y'all get a hold of that. The righteousness in which he covers us. Now, notice the second way the Bible talks about righteousness. Again, our shepherd guides us in paths of righteousness. Here's the second way the Bible speaks of righteousness. The righteousness to which Christ calls us. We've seen the righteousness in which Christ covers us, but we also have to examine the righteousness to which Christ calls us. In 1 Peter 2.24, the apostle Peter said, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, watch, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. When, when the Lord is our shepherd, he will guide you, and the path on which he will guide you, listen, will always be paths of righteousness. Always paths of righteousness. Clearly, in Psalms 23, that's what David's talking about here. He's guiding us in paths of righteousness. Paths of righteousness, what does that, what does that mean? It simply means the right paths. He never guides you on the wrong path. He always guides you on the right path. When you follow the guidance of the shepherd, you will always be on the right path. You never get lost. Listen, you never get lost following the shepherd. When your eyes are on him, you never lose focus. You never get lost. In fact, when your eyes are on the shepherd, you never have to make a U-turn. You never miss a turn because you're following the shepherd. Let's notice a couple things. This is important for us to understand. The right path is not an easy path. The right path is not an easy path. We know this simply reading the rest of this psalm. I mean, think about it. He's right here. He's talking about, and you know, he leads you beside still waters. He guides you in paths of righteousness. And then what does it move into? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So we know that the path that the Lord guides us on is not easy. The path of righteousness is not the path of ease. And I think somehow in our, our um, Americanized Christianity, we have somehow bought into that fact because Americans like things easy. We like things just, you know, uh, you know we want it now and quick and easy. Um, guys, I waited 40 minutes today for a hot dog. It was anything but quick and easy. Thankfully, I didn't have any meetings or anywhere to be, but 40 minutes for a hot dog. I'd already paid for it. 
wasn't quick and easy. <laughs> and so we like things quick and we like things easy. But the right path that he leads us in is not easy. It takes us through the valley of the shadow of death. But then you also notice as we read the rest of this psalm, it takes you through enemy territory. But even there, in those circumstances, the shepherd guides us. Pastures will not always be green. There are times of drought and famine in our lives. Waters will not always be still. Sheep are afraid of running water. There's going to be times of fear in our lives. The shepherds guided us there. There's never a promise that the right path is going to be easy for us. We never find that in Scripture. Mark chapter 4, y'all know the story well. Jesus has had a long day of teaching. He has performed several miracles that day. He's wore out. He's tired. How many understand Jesus was human? He needed rest. And so what did Jesus do? He told the disciples, said, look, let's get into the boat. Let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he gets into the, the, the hind part of the boat, and he goes to sleep. Y'all remember what happens? Skilled fishermen on this boat, a life-threatening storm. You know, the Sea of Galilee was known for its sudden storms because of the way the hills surrounded it and everything, wind would swoop down. And so these guys are in the middle of the storm fearing for their lives. And by all indications in the text, they exhausted every effort that they knew before they went to Jesus. Jesus was in the boat the whole time. And so these guys go to Jesus, and, and, and Jesus, do you not care that we're about to die? You're back here sleeping. Do you not care that we're about to die? And Jesus wakes up, and he basically tells the storm to shut up. Peace, be still. It hushes. And then he looks at the disciples and says, where's your faith at? And what a question. Where's your faith at? I've been here the whole time. You know, and I always like saying when I tell that, when I reference Mark 4, look, Jesus should always be our first response, not our last resort. Somebody say amen. He was their last resort. They waited until they were about to die. They thought they knew better because they were skilled. They had been on the water their whole lives. But the point of sharing that is what? Can I ask you a question? Were the disciples in that moment, were they being obedient to God when he said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side? They were being obedient. So Jesus knows all things, omniscient. He led them right into the middle of a life-threatening storm. Doesn't sound like the path of righteousness is easy, does it? Led them right into the path of an oncoming storm. But let, me, let, me, let me make this observation. This will help some of us tonight. It's helped me a lot. Is that we never experienced, look, the disciples would have never experienced that massive demonstration of the power of God if they had not gone through the storm. Peace be still, it all was quiet. Imagine what that did to the disciples' faith. Imagine what that did in their heart, the conviction they felt in that moment. Mm, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him, amen. Look, we face many obstacles on this path of righteousness. It's not easy. The shepherd often will not lead you around them like he did the disciples, but he'll lead you through them. He'll lead you through them. The financial difficulties, the health problems, death. He'll lead you through them. Psalm 77, 19 and 20 says this. 
Look, write these verses down. Look at them later. Psalm 77, 19 says this. Your way, watch, was through the sea. He said your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Notice a couple of things here about Psalm 77. At times, watch, look, at times God's way, what he's trying to do is going to seem, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, it's going to seem kind of crazy to us. Some things God's trying to do in our life because it's so impossible to us. It'll seem kind of crazy, like what in the world is, is the Lord doing here? It'll seem impossible to us. God's way will seem impossible. When God's people came to the Red Sea, think about it. Put yourself in the shoes of the Israelites. you got the Egyptian armies chasing behind you. you know, you got all these people, women and children, and, you're, and you come to the Red Sea, there's nowhere to go. I mean, what would you be thinking in that moment? Oh, okay, it's okay, guys. The Lord's going to part it. It's all right. No, no, no. We're going to probably be like they were. We get to the Red Sea, all right, this is, this is the end. This is, we're, we're done. We're toast. This is it. This is it. And, and then God comes through on their behalf, and he parts the Red Sea. God made a way through it, not around it. He made a way through it. Isaiah 43, 2, here's, listen to what God says. When you pass, watch. This is awesome, guys. Look, my goal tonight is to excite some of you before you leave. And I believe, look, write these verses down. They're going to excite you. Uh, look, read them in the morning before you go to work. You'll go to work with a pep in your step. Isaiah 43, 2 says this. It says, when I, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, he doesn't lead us around all the time. He leads us through. And he says, look, when, you, when I lead you through, I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you hanging out to dry here. At times, God's way seems impossible, but I want you to notice number two. At times, God's presence, look, it's hard to, to detect. It's hard to know that he's near. We often feel that way. When God's people crossed the Red Sea, God was with them, leading them, protecting them. But the psalmist said his footprints were unseen. His footprints were unseen. There will be times in our life of faith that we'll ask, where is God at in all this? We don't quite understand what he's leading us through, and it'll create questions in our mind. Where is he at in all of this? I can't see him. I can't feel his presence. I can't figure out what he's doing. It doesn't seem like he's listening to me. There's going to be moments we feel that way. God's way may seem like a mystery, but we can be sure of this, that the Lord is our shepherd, and he will guide us. Even when his footprints are unseen, he's with us. Then the third thing is this, at times God's direction in your life, now listen, comes through God the leaders he puts beside you. Sometimes God's direction in your life will come through godly leaders he puts beside you. You led your people like a flock by the hand, what did the psalmist say, of Moses and Aaron. That was the godly leaders that God put with his people. And this is a challenge to me, it's a challenge to all of us. To seek the wisdom and the counsel of godly leaders when you're trying to discern the right path. This is one of the ways God will lead you. God gives under-shepherds to you and he puts other believers around you. Seek godly counsel. You know, even though I'm a pastor, you know, who do I seek counsel from? 
who do I go to for advice? I go to men in my life that God has put me, that has put around me, that are a lot older and wiser than I am, who are godly leaders. Those are the men I seek with my hard questions. Those are the ones that I, I know I can be real and authentic with without them uh, passing judgment or sharing something, you know, uh, you know, amongst themselves. We seek godly counsel from godly leaders when you're trying to discern the right path. Often our tendency is, is to go to those who will agree with us. Isn't that true? And I've been there. I've been there. You know, when I'm about to make a bad decision and buy some car I don't need to buy or whatever, or buy some, you know, you know, get or apply for some credit card that I don't need. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna seek out, I'm gonna find somebody who's going to agree with me in this. That's not true. We shouldn't do that. We should seek godly counsel from godly leaders who will help us think, who will guide us on the right path. Psalms 1.1 says this, Blessed, literally, how happy, how happy you are when you walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. Now, always, you've heard me say many times, the voices in your life affect the choices in your life. Isn't that true? What you delight in determines your direction. Always remember that. What you delight in determines your direction. Look, seek godly counsel. The right path's not an easy path. Where the shepherd guides is always the right path. He guides me in paths of righteousness. Look, knowing this will help us when we face a change in our lives. Shepherds have two responsibilities, to care for the sheep and to manage the fields. Growing up, we had a guinea pig. Anybody in this room ever had a guinea pig? You ever had a guinea pig growing up? No? You had a hamster? Uh, similar. Look, it was a bad idea. <laughs> I'm just telling you right now, do not get a guinea pig. It was a bad idea. Our dog, Cokie, he was part shepherd, much easier than the guinea pig. One day, the guinea pig was left unattended with his food. <laughs> and that joker plum ate himself to death, literally. <laughs> you know, and I got to think about this. I guess if you're going to go, that's kind of a good way to go when you think about it. Can you imagine? You know, yeah. You know, you know, I think when we found him, he had a smile on his face. You know, look, see, guinea pigs will eat and they don't know when to stop. They have nothing that triggers in them, tells them when to stop. Literally, he ate himself to the point that he died. Lesson learned no more guinea pigs. Look, sheep are similar. When they're put in the field of lush grass, they, they enjoy a, a, a gourmet feast of grass, but they don't know when to stop. And so when, if they're left unattended, they'll not, not only eat the grass, they'll eat the roots, and they'll leave a field completely torn to pieces because they don't know when to stop. So what a good shepherd does is he has to have a plan to manage the fields. So he sets a timer on his smartphone or something, and so he knows when to move the sheep on. They don't have smartphones just... Out there. He has a way he keeps up with the time 
So he knows when to go and move the sheep on from grazing so they don't tear everything up because they don't know when to stop. Look, here's something we'll face. God puts you in a place where the grass is green. You're happy. And the shepherd moves you on and you don't want to go. Why can't I stay here longer is the question you ask. I don't want this change. I don't need this change. I don't want to leave this field. But the shepherd is saying he, he has to move you on. And he's telling you, look, this is no longer the place where you will be nourished. I have another place where I will provide for you. There I will feed you. There I will make you to lie down. You see, we like our comfort zone. We, 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 we struggle with change because we like to be where we're comfortable. We don't like to move when the shepherd tells us to move. We often do the same things and stay in the same places. When change comes, we resist. God may be wanting to move us into a new area of ministry. There are some who are neglecting something that God wants you to do through his church simply because it's going to be outside of your comfort zone. It's not where I'm comfortable. So we resist change. We're stubborn like sheep are. Look, his path is always right. You trust him. Wherever he leads, you will be nourished, fulfilled, and fruitful. You know, we've all, I've heard this quote my whole life. Where God guides, he provides. Where God guides, he provides. Well, that's, that's a blessing to me even to this day because 20 years ago, I would have told you, I, you're out of your mind if I ever thought I would be pastoring a church. God had to move me out of my area of comfort, and he had to do that in my life. He had to do that forcefully because I was stubborn like a sheep is. Look, where he guides, he provides. He always equips you for the area of ministry he wants to lead you into. Look, I could be looking at some tonight that God's calling to be a missionary. I might be looking at another pastor in this room that God might be leading in your life. Maybe you're resisting it. Maybe somebody to lead an evangelistic team here at the church to reach our community. It's out of your comfort zone, but you know what? The Lord wants me to do that. He wants me to be a part of that. Look, you rest assured when you follow the shepherd, his path is always right, and he always provides exactly what you need to succeed. The second thing in our text tonight is this. I'm going to move quickly because I've spent a lot of time on that. The promise, I want you to notice the promise in which he gives us. The promise in which he, the shepherd gives us. Notice verse 3 again of Psalms 23. He says, He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness. Watch for his name's sake. You know, we're so familiar with this text and we quote it that it's, it's, it's very easy for us to miss the power of these phrases and the wonderful truth that is found in these. How can we, you and I, be sure that the shepherd's going to lead us and lead us rightly? Because often, isn't it true, we are often misled in our lives. We are often let down by people in our lives, even family, friends, church people that hurt us and let us down. So how can we know for sure that the shepherd's going to lead us? What assurance do I have that he's going to lead me all the way home? You know, we talk about heaven, and maybe a problem why we have a hard time getting excited about heaven is that maybe we're just, we're, there's still that element of uncertainty there, like, okay, are we going to make it home? Is he really going to do what he said he's going to do? How do we know the shepherd's going to lead us all the way home? There are moments in life where we travel through a deep valley. You let other, down, other people down. I let other people down. You let yourself down. I let myself down. And you think sometimes, watch, have you ever been there? Sometimes I feel like giving up on myself. 
how do I know that God's not going to give up on me? How do I know that God's not going to give up? If I'm giving up on myself, how in the world is God not going to give up on me? The answer is in these magnificent words we just read. For his name's sake. For his name's sake. Ezekiel 36, 22 says this, Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name which you have profaned. Isaiah 43, 25, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Think about Paul with me for a second, his testimony. He was a blasphemer. He, he, he described himself as the worst among men. If you ever hear anybody say, you know what, I don't know that God can save me. I'm, I'm, I'm like the worst sinner there ever was. You just stop and say, look, man, somebody's already got that title. The Apostle Paul does. He said he's the chief of sinners. So you can't have that title. You can be the second worst, but you can't be the first worst, if that makes any sense. He says he was the chief among sinners, the worst among men, violent. He was a, an abuser. He testified, I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. 1 Timothy 1.16 says, God picked the worst people to show how patient he is. God not, uh, did not choose me because he saw something lovable in me. As much as we want to think that somehow... Like, you know, I was this lovable person to God, and he just wanted, you know, wanted me so desperately. He does want us desperately. But the point is, God is love, and we loved him. Why? Because he first loved us. Look, the good shepherd has staked his own name and reputation, watch, on leading you and me safely home. It's for his sake. He has said, my sheep will never perish, John 10, 28. He said that he will lose none of them, John 16, 39, chapter 7, verse 12. Whatever God is doing in your life and mine, it's for his name's sake. He says he will guide them in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. His grace, his pace, his patience, and his faithfulness will be put on display forever through what he will make of you. Look, that's why he'll never give up on you. How, how do I know that? God will never give up on me because his reputation will not allow him to give up on you. His promise is that he will guide us, he will never leave us, he'll never forsake us, he will lead us home. Look, it's a marvelous thing to be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. And to know that he leads you. When you arrive in his presence, safe from all enemies in the valleys behind you, now think about it, he will be your shepherd and he will lead you for all eternity. You'll be in his presence for all eternity and that relationship will continue. And he will continue to guide and to lead in your life. Look, the reputation of our Redeemer, he guides us in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. Let's stand together tonight for prayer. Lord, I thank you tonight for your word. God, what a blessing it is uh, to glean the truth, God, just this out of these, these little phrases as we looked at, or two phrases tonight that are just so packed with truth that we need. God, I'm thankful for the righteousness in which we are covered, Lord, to the righteousness of Christ. Lord, I'm thankful for that day when I was 17 that I placed my faith in Jesus for salvation.
And Lord, that day you covered me in the righteousness of Christ, and I've been covered since that day. And Lord, I'm thankful for the righteousness in which we are called. Uh, Lord, help us to be obedient. Uh, Lord, and to live our lives of obedience and gratitude and love for our Redeemer. And Lord, use us to please God. Use us to reach others with the gospel. Lord, time is short and running out. And God, we need to be busy reaching others with the gospel. Uh, Father, I thank you for the truth that we have heard tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how good it is to us. Uh, Lord, we love you tonight. I'm going to ask Brother Fred to close us in prayer.